friends that are uh, long-time old-school friends where one word just connects, you know? Like, I could be like, what up? And that what up means way more than what up, you know? The, the family at Restore Church is one of those friends to Mac have. I can say, I can say something like discipleship, we connect. I can say something like missionality, we connect. I can say something like empowerment, we connect. And so for us to have our family, our restored brother, Pastor Cleet here today, it is, it is the celebration of something that's taken place a long time, a celebration of an intimate relationship where we know they're championing for God doing things in our body and we're being champions for what he's doing in their body. Amen? Amen. And so uh, I'm going to bring my brother on up. And we family are going to pray for Pastor Cleet as he brings the word today. He has his lovely wife and family in the center here. And uh, if, if you are connected to him, you might have seen uh, on Facebook, this brother went squirrel hunting <laughs> to celebrate his birthday. Nothing wrong with it. No, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> Let's pray, family. Lord, we are so blessed, so blessed to have our friend, our friend that you've called to live out your gospel, to be a light unto his family, and proclaim your gospel uh, throughout the, to the nations. But he's not excluding his home, his home of Detroit. He wants to see this neighborhood, this community, this city transformed for your name. And so, Lord, we're thankful to partner with them. God, all week he's been fighting something physically. He's been sick. So we're asking that your hand would be upon him as, as he's tried to fight through, Lord, to be able to, to preach your gospel. Would you calm the ears of the people listening and allow your spirit to move through him? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Next, family, we're going to have a scripture reading, and then the, first, the voice you will hear after that will be from Pastor Khalid. This is the reading of God's word. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jemin, Ohad, Jekin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Imram, Yusar, Hebron, and Uziel. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to the generations. Amram took as his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Isar, Korah, Nepeg, and Zikri. The sons of Usio, Mishael, Ezepan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Amenadab, and the sister of Nishan. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, 
Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putio, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of their father's houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out of the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down a staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down a staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. This is God's word. Thank you, Caleb. Greetings from Restored Church. we so glad to be here with my family, with um, a couple of my neighbors, Larry and Josie and her fiancé, Jared, who's a good family friend of ours, my wife, Ruth, and our four children. So, were you thinking as Caleb started reading, what is he going to preach on? Because when I read it, when Leon sent me the email, I'm like, are you kidding me, Leon? Are you serious, Leon? You had to pick the, the hardest part of Exodus and go, okay, Cleet, here you go. But I think we'll get through it this morning. And uh, I think Caleb did a fantastic job on pronouncing all those names. A hundred percent correct, I'm guessing. <laughs> Good enough for us. Good enough for government work today, huh? Let's dive right in. As you heard last week, Leon preached a message on the worst union leader ever. If Moses would have been elected by the AFL-CIO, they would have Jimmy Hoffa him early on. 
Because he was repping for them to get out of work. And what happens? They got more work. What kind of rep is that when you go as a union leader and it gets worse for your people? No. But we see Moses continuing ahead. And God going to use this in the children of Israel's lives as well as the Egyptians' lives. I mean, we knew things weren't going to be really good when God tells Moses something like, but I will harden his heart and he's not going to listen. <laughs> How many of us really like dummy missions? How many of you been on a dummy mission? Yeah, we all have. You know you're going to go do something, you know it ain't going to work out well. When I was a kid, there used to be a lot of dummy missions. Mom would tell you to go clean your room and have your brother help you. You knew that was a dummy mission unless that came from mom. He wasn't going to listen to you. Dummy mission. Have you ever tried to tell a cat to do anything? (laughs) Dummy mission. Cats don't obey. But as we search the word today, there's two things that I want us to see. That dummy missions in our lives may not be dummy missions, but they may mean that we are obedient and faithful to God, which then equals success. So let's start, though, in uh, verse 14 of chapter 6, and I am not going to attempt to read as Caleb did, but... I thought, what am I going to say about this? This is kind of a really boring part of the passage. I've got to make this exciting, though. You know, the people want to know. There was nothing. Not much excitement. But there was a few things as I was studying this out, a few names that I knew. And I think God wants us to hear something from this passage, particularly this genealogy, this lineage I think he has something for us here. So I don't want to just skip over and get to the meat, the good part of it. But let's look at this a little bit. I think God is trying to tell us that it is not ultimately your lineage or your ethnicity that saves you. That bloodline that's going to save you. Because we see some jacked up things in this lineage. First, we look at verse 15 And it says, the son of a Canaanite woman. This was not an Israelite woman. So ethnicity was out the window at this point because now we have a different bloodline in Aaron and Moses' bloodline. And then as I was reading it, there was a few other things that I noticed. It was a few names. And maybe you caught a few names as we were going through this. You see, all our family trees are a little jacked up. Are they not? Maybe you that jacked him up. (laughs) But let's look at verse 24. We have a man named Korah in verse 24. And in number 16, it tells you there was a rebellion that Korah started. And Moses confronts it. Moses actually gets to see God bury Korah. The earth actually opened up and swallowed Korah and those that were with him. We also actually get to see, if we go to number 16, that there was others that were burned to death because of Korah's rebellion. Very fascinating portion of Scripture. And we see this very man in the lineage of 
are two dudes. We also see a couple names in verse 23 that I recognized. How many of you have heard of a Nadab and Abihu? Few of you have heard of him. But if you go to Levi 10, you will see Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, getting a little bit of special worship on. Offering some strange fire that God didn't say to offer him. And what does God do in that passage in Leviticus 10? Strikes him down. Kills them. So we have one of our main characters, Aaron, his son, two of them, being struck down by God because of the way they were worshiping God was not the way he said. We also, as we go through this, we see a great man. Verse 25 tells us about a a guy named Phineas. Now, I hadn't heard the name Phineas in a long time, except for there's a cartoon now with Phineas and Herb or Herb or something like that. So I Googled it, and he's this funny guy with a, 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 like a pizza face. This is not the same Phineas. And I doubt probably any of you will name your children Phineas. But this was a man of God. Listen with me in Numbers 25. 6 through 13. Now, let me set the backdrop for this. There was um, the Israelites taking some Moabite women. And they were doing, as the Bible says, whoring around with them. And then praising God. And so there's a whole group of these people outside the tent of meeting. And Phineas sees something that angers him. Because God has come down and said, this is wrong, what you are doing. And now listen with me, Numbers 25, 6. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family. So this dude brings this woman with him, not for good intentions. In the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel. While they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, our same Aaron we're going to talk about today. Saw it, he rose, he left the congregation and took a spear in his hand. And he went to the man... Of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Thus, the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000 people. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that he did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, behold, I will give him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and his descendants after him the covenant of the perpetual priesthood Because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. 
And so we see a man who was praised by God in this lineage. So this tree was not just forked in the wrong way. It actually had some great forks in it. Phineas is an Israelite. He says, you're not going to do that to my God. In his face as we're all weeping, whore around? I don't think so. Grabs a spear and goes to town. And God says, that's my man. That is my man. And took the curse off of them. So this segment, we actually see two dead sons. Phineas, a great man before God. And this is just the start of this message. If we had time to dig into each one of these stories, oh, what we would see God doing back in the day. But verse 26 and 27 of uh, chapter 6 says, These two men from the previous verses, um, excuse me, 26, these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt with Moses and this Aaron. On that day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I, am an uncircum- I have uncircumcised lips. Will Pharaoh listen to me? And we know this tired argument that Aaron or uh, Moses had been giving. He had been using his faltering, stammering tongue. But this time, he's not making an excuse. He's like, will he really listen? Because you know I've got an issue. And God, in chapter 7, tells them exactly what they want to do. So let's read this together. And then we're going to hit just a few points. We're going to get out of here probably by at least 3 o'clock today. I won't keep you any longer. Um, promise. And so, but let's read this uh, chapter 7 and uh, to where we're going to stop. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be a prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this, his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old. When they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron. When the Pharaoh says to you. Prove yourselves by working a miracle. Then you shall say to Aaron. 
Take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt. Also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So what do we see in this passage of Scripture? Moses and Aaron were faithful and obedient to the message that God had given them. But we see nothing changing. Pharaoh was like, he was from Missouri. Show me. And so they do. And he's like, go ahead. His people cast down theirs. Big deal? Well, maybe. But we see Aaron's serpent actually eat all of their serpents. If I'm seeing this, it's kind of convincing me that there's probably a little more power, even though I'm pretty powerful, around me. But nothing changed. There's two things that I want us to see out of this passage. I want us to see a couple things that we learn about man. Then I want us to see a couple things that we learn about an all-powerful God. So what do we learn about man? There's so many things we could say from this passage of Scripture. But let's look at chapter 7. And I want to go where it says, Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83. So these were a couple of OGs on the block. They'd been around for a while. People at this time in the history didn't live 900 years. It was more like 100, possibly a little less. And so these two guys were, as we would have called when I was younger, geezers. So what I want us to see, though, is there is no time here for usefulness in God's kingdom. I want us to see that just because you may be old, just because you may be young, there's no timeline in God's kingdom. Because God says... You can be a senior citizen and bring a whole nation of people out. Or you could be a young man like David was and slay a Goliath. And both of those are working for me. My will is that you be faithful and that you also be obedient to what I have for you. We want to let God... Be the one that determines our usefulness in his kingdom. Not our education. Not our lineage. Not our ethnicity. We want God to determine that. I know a lot of seminary educated idiots. Preaching the word of God supposedly today. But they're not faithful. They're not obedient to what the scripture says. And I know a lot of guys who do not have an education on their block, faithfully serving Jesus Christ every day, proclaiming the gospel. 
And I know young and old and middle-aged. And in God's economy, let that be an encouragement to you. Whether you're old and just coming to realize who God is and what he expects out of your life. Or if you're a young person, 10 years old in here. God can use you and all he's looking at is obedience and faithfulness. Jesus was 30 years old before he started his earthly ministry. Paul had a few murders under his belt till he started his ministry. The list could go on. But Jesus wants us to be in ministry even today. You don't have to be a full-time pastor like Leon or Eric. Because you know what God calls each one of us? And it's been said God pays each one of us to be missionaries. He just routes our checks in different ways to keep us on the field. And so we are all paid messengers of Jesus Christ. The second thing we learn today is man can be willfully blind even when provided proof of truth by an all-powerful God. Man can be willfully blind even when provided proof of truth by an all-powerful God. Pharaoh asked for a sign. And it was given and he still did not believe. Reminds me of in the New Testament, the rich man and Lazarus. Said, send someone to my brothers. They will listen. Said, they have Moses and the prophets. There's not a sign that's going to reveal anything different to them. Even if someone came back from the dead to tell them. And so, we as human beings can be willful in our ignorance of who God is. So we pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to give us the understanding of who Jesus Christ is as he walked on this earth. And we can pray that prayer because apart from the Holy Spirit doing that work in our lives, we will be no different than Pharaoh. Our neighbors will be no different than Pharaoh because their eyes will be blinded to the truth and willingly so. Well, let's look at what do we learn about God. Well, the first thing we learn about God in this passage is God is a sovereign God and in complete control. Romans 9, I'm going to read verse 13. It says, As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. One of the hardest verses in the Bible for me to wrap my mind around. But it continues, verse 14 of Romans 9. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth, so then... He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why 
does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And Proverbs 21 says this, and listen, verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. You see, God is in complete control of every situation, of every nation, of every election that we've ever had, even in the United States. This is a God that I want to worship. One that does not need to bow to men, but men bow to him. You see, too many of us, this rubs us the wrong way. How can God rule over a nation that has had racism in its past and still rampant racism? How can that be? How can he let slavery happen? How could we have people, our children's mind filled with hate and kill at 12 years old? What kind of God would allow this? And all we do when we force those thoughts upon ourselves, we make ourselves the potter and God our clay because we want to mold him into what we think a divine being should be and how a divine being should act. But God, but God has a plan. And we know even before we get to the end of Exodus, what happens with his people? It's a beautiful story, and I'm not going to ruin it, because probably none of you know anything about the Red Sea. So I'm not going to ruin that, but you'll get there. It's going to be a cool story. But this God that we learn about today is in complete control, even hardening the heart of Pharaoh from doing what he bids. The second thing we learn about God is our work is really his work. And we can rest in that. Our work that he gives us to do is really his work. It's not a dummy mission. It's successful mission because it's his work. We are his messenger. We have his message. We have his signs. And they're his results. And so many times, though, we get downtrodden. We get discouraged. But God told us what this life was going to be like. Look with me in 1 Peter 
It says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. Suffering? Doesn't sound like your best life now, does it? Bunch of crappy books on a bookstore will tell you differently. Do I have a witness? Okay. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What was the cross? An instrument of destruction to the body. He didn't mean put your necklace on and follow me. Like Mr. T. It's a different cross. Matthew 10, 22 says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 5, 11 and 12 says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, went before you. You wonder why it feels like a dummy mission sometimes. Why people hate you. They're supposed to love you. Come on. He tells us. But it's in his hands. He's got a message that he wants you to proclaim to the nations on your block. And he says, you'll do it. People are going to hate you. Jesus, I got the best message in the world. I know. They're going to hate you. That's not what I signed up for. This doesn't sound like Hollywood. They're going to hate you. You see, too many times, we give a different message out. We give a message, if you follow Jesus, he will get you off that crack. True, it can happen. Follow Jesus, you might get a job. Follow Jesus, you might get stable housing. Follow Jesus, you might get this or that. Where the message of the gospel is that stuff may happen, but because you are a child of God, those things happen. He changes you. The message of the gospel is that he sent Jesus to redeem you who are no different than Pharaoh persecuting his people. No different than Paul being a murderer. In the face of God, you were spitting and said, I will do things my own way. But too many times in the gospel presentation, we have a testimony that you know what? A satanic cult could give and it actually worked. You know what? People can go to the Mormon church and get off drugs. They can get off alcohol in the Jehovah's Witness church. That's not the gospel. It's an outpour of the gospel, but that's not the gospel. The gospel that you are to preach is that Man is jacked up. We are willingly sinful in the face of God. But what do we learn about God? 
He is in complete control even of that. And he is calling you to repent because he is sent away for that to happen so you could be reconciled to the Father. You see, in this passage of Scripture, God is telling Moses, I'm going to make you like God to Pharaoh. Aaron will be your prophet. So you're going to say what's going to happen. And Aaron's going to say, let my people go. He had the power of God. The words that came out of Moses' mouth were the words of God. You have that same power. When you speak the words of God to people as he's proclaimed them in the word. It is as if God himself were talking to those people. You have that same power. Matthew 28 says, Now to the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, (coughs) excuse me, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then we go to Acts 1, 6 through 9, and it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And he's talking to all of us right now. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things... As they were looking on, he lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. He said, do all that I've commanded you to do. I started looking. What did God command us to do? When Jesus was on earth, what did he command us? He said, don't commit adultery. Keep your word. Go the second mile. Love your enemies. Be perfect. Practice disciplines. Lay up treasures in heaven. Seek God's kingdom, judge not, do not cast pearls before swine, ask, seek, knock, beware of false prophets. And the list could go on and on and on. There's actually 684 commands in the New Testament. You're going, woo! I got to know all these. However, to gain an overall grasp of the commands of Scripture... That we are to obey, they should be condensed by what Jesus said in Matthew 23, or excuse me, 22. Matthew 22, 36 through 40 say, somebody comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? 
And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second one is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophet. Well, as we look at this passage of Scripture, nothing happened on the outside except a few snakes were eaten, hardened hearts. But was Moses and Aaron successful in their mission? Yeah. Because they did what God told them to do. Let me ask you this question. In God's economy... I'm not talking world economy. Are you a success? Didn't ask how much money you have. I didn't ask how many likes on Facebook you got from a stupid picture. I didn't ask how many selfies you put up and people liked them. Narcissism. I didn't ask any of those things. Are you a success in God's eyes? He says, obey me and be faithful. So these two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as your God. That in my economy is success. That mission will always be successful. There's never a dummy mission in God's economy. Never a dummy mission. He will never tell you, Go talk to that cat. Ain't gonna happen. Because he's got a plan. We know cats don't listen. He's got a plan. I'm gonna leave you now with two passages of scripture as we close. Usually, when a dying man is on his deathbed, his words ring true. And he says the things that are probably most important to him at that time. And we have King David giving a charge to his son Solomon in 1 Kings 2. And this is King David dying. But this is what he says to his son. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth. He said... So be strong. Act like a man. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience, son. Keep his decrees and commands, his laws, his regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do. And wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. And then let's turn our attention to the book of Proverbs. Chapter 3, 
My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years for life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. We know God has left us with many promises in the word. And he says, those who will endure to the end, be found faithful and obedient to me, will have life eternal in that next life to come. He says, I go away to prepare a mansion for you. Where I go, you cannot come right now. But at death's door, we have eternal life waiting for us. You see, this life right now holds some tough things for us. It's not promised that it would be a bed of roses. But we know in this life to come, when this life is a success, we will live in paradise forever with our Creator. That potter who loves us and gave us Jesus Christ to be our Redeemer. We will spend eternity working and ruling and reigning with Him. Will that be successful? Yes. But don't get it twisted. When our life looks in shambles here, if we are obedient and faithful to Christ, this life is still a success. So don't be counted out when things look bleak. Let Jesus be your reputation. Let him be your guide. God bless.